uh, let's go ahead and get started. Do I not? Do I have this? One? Yep. Uh, happy Lent. We are uh, officially in the Lenten season. So if you haven't heard about um, this book that was put together for the Lenten season, there's something uh, each day. I did seven different practices, spiritual disciplines, and then repeated them uh, each week. So it's somewhat predictable, but each week there's a different flavor to that discipline. Um, So you can grab one of these if you like. They're out there um, by where the questions are. I would love, I'm just going to keep beating this drum until until it starts to happen. I would love some feedback from those who are participating in this as you go through it. I'm not looking for um, like your answers or anything, but what, what worked, what didn't work, what did you like, what did you not like, um, so that as we do these, I can see us doing these more and more in the future. Um, so as I keep doing those, we can get some good feedback. So love that. Maybe we should just, so you could, we just get a comment box, like at, you know, restaurants and stuff. That way you can be anonymous. So you don't have to send me an email. You just send me a, just drop it in the comment box, I guess. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we will jump, um, jump into the text. Lord God, we come to you tonight, um, this night that is uh, part of the church calendar that we call Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday has been a different experience for each one of us, and yet it is so uh, similar in its meaning for us, and we just, we come today acknowledging our humanness and the reality of the brokenness that is our humanness, and We are grateful for the opportunity that that you have created for us to be in you and to be in relationship with you. And so as we do not hold too tightly to this thing called physical life, we hold tightly to your cross and to eternal life that is in you. So be with us tonight, Holy Spirit. Uh, We ask for your enlivening and your movement in us uh, as a corporate group and also in us as individuals as a part of that group. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, here we are, Ephesians chapter 2. We are continuing uh, down this path, and Paul gives us a wonderful uh, conjunction, junction, what's your function, um, with a therefore. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new person 
in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, uh, Paul gives us this therefore uh, at at the conclusion of his previous thought, and his previous thought was that we are the workmanship of Christ. We are God's handiwork that he is building together and working on uh, for his good, and this is the location that we are to live in. And so he is calling us and the Ephesians to remember. So because of all these things, don't forget. Now the challenging thing is that uh, we often are afraid to remember, or we choose not to remember. We have selective memory. And we've talked about this, we talked about this last week, and we're talking about it again, not because I love to talk about this, but because Paul is the one who likes to talk about it, and he wants to drive home the point that the act of memory, the act of remembering who we were pre-Christ, is a crucial component to understanding who we are in Christ, and I know we, we wrestle with and we balance this with, well, what about all these passages where we say our sin is as far as the east is from the west? What about all these passages where I will blot your sins out? I will remember them no more. This morning, uh, the passage for Ash Wednesday was, was Psalm 51, and this idea of remembering comes back. And how we are to remember our status before Christ. And again, we we don't like to remember. How often is it that we ask for forgiveness from someone in an offense, and then when they bring it back up, we say, well, why don't you just forget about that? I've already asked for your forgiveness. Why do you keep bringing this back up? And now our answer can be, well, partly because it's biblical. (laughs) Partly because that is what followers of Christ are to do, is to remember. Now, we're not remembering in this Eeyore-type scenario. We're not remembering in a way that we degrade ourselves. Because as Miroslav Volf talks about in, uh, in The End of Memory, we need to remember correctly. And so the act of remembering is not to bring ourselves down, it's actually to appreciate where we are today. It's actually 
a spiritual act of orienting ourselves today in the joy that is where we are today in Christ. So the, this movement that people say, well, let's just forget about the past or let's not talk about these terrible things that happened in our past are abandoning the reality that Paul calls us to. Because Paul calls us to remember. He doesn't call us just to remember the good things. In fact, what he calls us to is remembering the worst things. <laughs> like last week when we were talking about the death and wretchedness of our sin. And now this week he calls the Gentiles first, which Gentiles is a category of anyone who is not an ethnic Jew. So we are all Gentiles. He's calling us, Gentiles, them then and us now, to remember there used to be this categorization and classification of those who were not circumcised and those who were circumcised, i.e. Uh, non-Jews and the Jews. And Paul's like, yeah, but that was, that was a in-the-flesh procedure which didn't have the value that you thought it did. What are we to remember? We are to remember that we were once separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant, covenants of promise. So three things, separated from Christ, alienated from the chosen people of God, meaning the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. And then he goes on, he just piles on, he's like, and if you didn't think that was bad enough, you had no hope. You were a hopeless people without God in the world. You were without hope and without God in the present place. And it's this piling on of this reality that, that all of those exi that, that exist pre-Christ or outside of a relationship with Christ are in this destitute position. They're, anyone who resides outside the presence and relationship with Jesus Christ is in a place of destitution. And you know, if you think back, you know, we love to do this with our kids you know, I, I think back uh, to, to Nikki and I's first house that we rented. And we drive the kids by like, we don't care. I appreciate the house that I live in today because we lived at 112 East Elgin, which was a complete dump in Spearfish. <laughs> the pipes froze. I mean, it was just terrible. So when I compare that existence to my current existence, and I remember, man, remember how bad that was? Yeah, I do. And this place is so much better. And it, Paul is giving us and the Gentiles this imagery of before Christ, you were in this place where exactly why is it that the babies have more spirit than most of us 
And they don't even have any concept of the joy that comes when we're in Christ. Can I get an amen from that baby? <laughs> so Paul is setting up this picture of, you know, we, those who are outside, were, were destitute, aliens, strangers. And then, just like last week, except he omits the direct reference to God, he says, but now, but now, God, but God now, in the present, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and you just can't help when you're talking about near and far, thinking of the one and only Elmo, right? He's like, near, far. And you're like, it's such an elementary concept. You used to be way back here, and now you're right up here. You never got that? You didn't watch Sesame Street? Which there is a fascinating documentary on the history of Sesame Street. Jim Henson died way too young. But this, this negation of the reality that existed before to the present day, now we have access to be in Christ. We are drawn in. How is it that we're drawn in? We're drawn in through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I used to roast coffee. I really was into the specialty coffee world. I had become friends with the people at the, co the coffee importer, and so they'd invite me down for these coffee tastings. And so one time we went down, and we there's this cup of excellence, which is a competition where they select uh, the best coffee from a country based on certain standards. And so we had 28 coffees from El Salvador. And so we were tasting all 28 of these El Salvadorian coffees, which the previous year El Salvador had won uh, the Cup of Excellence. And so I was like really jazzed about this. And, and you're like, did it taste like coffee? Yes, it did. But every single cup had slightly different nuances. And my kids love to just harass me about this stuff. They're like, ooh, I can really smell the earthy notes. Why was harassing me the other night about this, this pillowy mouthfeel? And I'm just like, it's so true. And everyone's like, coffee, is it hot? Is it black or mostly black? And does it have caffeine? Okay, I'm good. And, and a friend pointed this out to me the other night. I, I have a tendency to, to geek out on some of these concepts and some of these deep theological concepts in the way that I geek out about so many things. And you're like, we don't care. We don't care. So if I, if I start to pile into the, the deep, dark, nuances of this and you're like ah, don't really don't really care just just like most things just hold on we'll we'll eventually pull out of it 
But what is it about the deep-seated, amazing truth that is right here, that, that through what is happening when Jesus goes and dies on the cross, when Jesus is shedding his blood, what is the mysterious reality that he is creating for us? He's drawing humanity to himself through his blood. And if you remember back to Hebrews chapter 10, I was just telling Lee this a little bit ago, the amazing connections between Hebrews and Ephesians. You're like, well, yeah, they're both in the Bible, but no, seriously, this same language is being used by the writer of Hebrews that we, are to, we draw near to Christ. We draw near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we're entering into the season of Lent where we talk and, and we dig deeper into this amazing reality of what exactly is God doing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, Paul opens up part of that window and he says, through the death of Jesus Christ, he's creating a pathway to which he can draw us in. Because before that, there was all sorts of hoops and barriers and barricades between somebody who was outside of Israel and somebody who wanted to be near Yahweh. And Jesus Christ comes and he just completely upends the reality of what is happening on earth. And Amanda and I were talking about her passage tonight in Luke 17 and, and the reality that Jesus is telling us. The world says this. And I'm just going to flip that on its head because the reality is this. So before Jesus, the reality was all of these stipulations and, and hoops and barriers that you had to go through and jump over if you wanted to be considered a follower of Yahweh. You wanted to become a God-fearer. And Jesus says, we took care of that. The cross becomes the avenue through which everyone has direct access to God, in which we can draw near, we can get into Christ. For he himself is our peace. And we can't miss this. It's not that he gives peace. He is peace. So when we reside in Christ, we reside in peace. When we reside outside of Christ, we reside outside of peace. Again, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of struggle. This peace is shalom, which is wholeness, is completeness, is the reality in which we are to live into. And so to be in Christ, to live into Christ, is to live into wholeness. And this word peace, we're like, yeah, peace. And we live in such a place of privilege. And we're communicating with our friends in Poland, the hashes, and we're going to talk about it this Sunday. The people in Poland and Ukraine right now in that whole area, you want to talk about knowing the difference between War and peace, and it's not just an obscenely long fictional book that I'm never going to read. It's a reality that they are living in. 
And we're like, oh, this concept of peace. Yeah, it's like, I just feel good. And it's, to say that that is peace is to completely devalue the reality that to be in Christ is to experience wholeness and shalom. And what is it that he has done? Again, we can't miss this. When Paul is communicating, it is not about what we're doing. It's not about what we're doing. It's about what God is doing for us and in us and through us and to us. And I admit, don't tell me that I'm not doing anything. (laughs) He... God, through the cross, has broken down in his flesh. It is in the actual flesh of Jesus Christ that this is happening. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new person in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he is breaking down this dividing wall. And and for the first century audience, in the temple there was literally a wall that existed that divided the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And we know, again, that inside the temple, inside the center of the temple, there was a dividing curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the whole Jewish structure was based on divisions and and segments. And the Jewish people loved to use that and create these hierarchies. And to say, well, if you're in this space, you're of a, a different category. You think about this concept of like, well, this is the VIP area, like, and you don't get in the VIP area unless you have this status or th- that status, unless you have the right amount of money or the right clothes or so on and so forth. And Paul is saying Jesus has broken down that. When Jesus dies on the cross and the curtain is torn, it is not only symbolic, but it is the reality that the death of Jesus Christ wipes open the playing field of his kingdom. So that when we are in Christ, there is no division, there is no uh, good seat or bad seat, there is no popularity, there is no power or strength or position. Everyone is on the same playing field. And for the, the Gentile, they would say, yes, I've walked by that wall, I, I've known I can't go by that wall, And what you're telling me now is the reality that I live in here in ancient Near Eastern Israel is completely the opposite of how the kingdom of God works. And Paul would say, exactly. And that's why why equality is one of the biggest themes of the book of Ephesians. Because in Christ, everyone is on the same path level. There is no boundary. There is no, well, I mean, you can get in, but you can't really get into like the good spot. The good spot is reserved for those people that, well, 
are super holy and live certain ways and, and give certain amounts or, or you know, have certain positions. No. The equality in the kingdom of God is not based on human effort or ethnicity. It is based on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can't miss that. We cannot miss that the Jews thought that they were extra special, and they were, for a very long time. And they had special access to God. They were the people of God. In Christ, we see a transformation and an upending of that reality. And so it does not matter your ethnicity. It does not matter your level of cleanliness. It does not matter your level of income or influence. We are all the same in Christ. It doesn't matter how much you know about God or how long you've been walking with Christ. We are all the same in Christ. And at one point, we, we can maybe cognitively agree with that, but in reality, we often don't agree with that. And I can tell you the number one litmus test. Get together with a group of people and say, who would like to pray for us? <laughs> oh, no, not really good at that. Not really qualified for that. Or family gathering, oh, well, Eric's the pastor. We better have him pray. <laughs> I mean, like if I was a surgeon and, and someone needed surgery at, at Thanksgiving, then you probably should ask me because I'm the surgeon. And I could do that. I'm not a surgeon. <laughs> Paul is painting this amazingly beautiful picture that we are one, one humanity in himself. In place of the two, in place of the division. So that... He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Both to God in one body through the cross. So Paul is communicating this triangular situation that God is doing through the cross. He is reconciling us to God in this vertical exchange of, of coming together. And he is reconciling humanity to one another. Creating any barrier of hostility or division that exists within his body. And, create, and, and breaking apart any division between us and God. But, but so often when we read a passage like this, or when we read most of the New Testament or the Old Testament, we, we think of ourselves. We think of this is about individual salvation. And as Block points out in his commentary on this section... No, it's not about individual salvation. It is about corporate reconciliation and the new creation that God is establishing, 
not only the new humanity, but also the reconciliation of creation at large. And again, it is the now and the not yet. It's the remembering what was, acknowledging what is, and looking forward to what will be. And so this new creation, this new humanity, it isn't that we all assimilate into the more dominant position. Because that's what assimilation does. It swallows up the lesser into the greater. When we talk about a melting pot, that's not a good thing. (laughs) We're not melting together as if God is trying to make this homogeneous cheese that we're going to dip, you know, some bread and and fruit into, (laughs) which would be delicious right now. It's not this this blending together in this, like, cosmic human smoothie. We're like, well, where does the raspberry end and the strawberry begin? And who threw the banana in here? What Paul is saying is the new humanity, the new humanity that is in Christ is all people that want to and that desire to enter through the cross coming in as everyone is the same, meaning equal, not the same meaning the same. Like, we're all just a bunch of, you know, Eric's, which that'd be terrible. But for so often, when we interpret texts like this, or when we are in places... We are lured into the assimilationist perspective. We either buy into the lie of segregation or we buy into the lie of assimilation. And if we don't think that we, the church, do this, all we have to do is look at a little bit of history and acknowledge that after Brown versus Board of Education, Christianity sought to segregate their kids in private schools so that they did not have to integrate with African-American students. We did that. The church did that. We have been misreading this text, and we have been saying, well, if you want to be a part of the body, well, then you need to look like, act like, and desire the things that we desire. And we think, oh, we'll just split it up. So then we say, in the body, we say, well, we have a contemporary service, and we have a traditional service. If that isn't creating a barrier within the body of Christ, then what is? Well, we just like what we like. What if we engaged in a body and participated in things that we didn't like? Because the body is so multidimensional, multifaceted. You, know, you remember back when we used to get color crayons for school? Did you ever say, could I just get like two colors in my color box? I'll just take the 12 color pack. No, you're like, I need this 128 color box of crayons because I need every color. You're like, there's 10 reds. No, no. There's cardinal. There's red red, there's Corvette red, 
there's Mustang. You're like, okay. Why is it that we love to color with all the colors of all the rainbow and all the amazing opportunities of, of 27,000 whites? Like, when you paint your ceiling, it's just white. No, it's not. It's eggshell and light fog. And you're like, okay. But when it comes to the body of Christ, we're like, no, we, we only want one color. Just Let's just blend it all together and make one color. And that's, you know, we want the dominant color at the top. And that is what Paul is writing into. Because the Jews wanted it the Jewish way. And Paul is saying the Gentiles, if they had any influence, which they didn't really, they wanted it their way. And Paul says, no, no, no. There is no division. There is one body. There is one humanity. The hostility that exists between the different groups is gone. It's dead, killed, dead. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, seeking to draw shalom to all people that are in Christ. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. For through him we both, meaning we all have access in one spirit to the Father. Again, this Trinitarian viewpoint. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Strangers and aliens to fellow citizens. There could not be a larger contrast that exists between a stranger and an alien and a citizen and a participant and a saint and a member, a full member of the household of God. And again, the challenge is within this whole category is to enter into the kingdom of God, we press ourselves through the cross. We enter into the kingdom of God through the cross. And, and I, I know I've mentioned this before, but I immediately think about Plato and how <laughs> Alicia's like, I do too. I was playing with it later, earlier. And, and the joy of the Plato is the pressing through all these fancy new things. And you put the different ends on. For you that don't play with Play-Doh, you think about like a cookie press at Christmas time. You put a shape on and you, and you squeeze out a, a cookie in that shape. So we press through the cross, shaping ourselves into the cross as we enter into the kingdom of God. And it's in that shape that God desires for us to be. The challenge is, so often, we smuggle in other things, and then we press ourselves through those things. So we take our cross-shaped life <laughs> that looks like an innocent, murdered enemy of the state, and we press ourselves through worldly standards and things. 
We press ourselves through our TVs. We press ourselves through our smartphones. We press ourselves through our radios. And on the other side of that is not a cross-shaped person. It's a worldly-shaped person. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. No. That, that's what a stranger and alien looks like. If you've ever been to Roswell, anyone? Fascinating place. Free bumper sticker at the Alien Museum. An alien looks like the world, and a follower of Christ looks like a citizen and a saint. And that citizenship is not in a temporal sense, it's in a future sense. Spoiler alert, I think Hebrews has something to say about this. And I love being an American citizen. And I've thought more about it in the last 10 days than I probably have in the last 10 years. I mean, if I lived in the Ukraine right now, I would have no choice but to fight. If I'm between 18 and 60, which is most of us men in here, Mark 61, he just had a birthday today. Happy birthday. I love being able to carry a U.S. passport. This is not about national allegiance. This is about citizenship that is either of the world that looks like an alien and a stranger or looks like a saint, which is in the shape of a cross, which has its residence in heaven. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves and say, well, forget the world. We're just abandon the world. We are God's workmanship, created to do good works in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ah, it's been a whole week. And what are we as we are created in that shape? We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in which the whole structure, the whole building being joined together, mortared together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you, collective you, not you as an individual, collective you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Think about that. Those who are in Christ, who have moved through the cross into a cross shape, God is gathering them together. And this foundation is Christ at the cornerstone, which has all of this wonderful imagery of the stone that the builder rejected and all these things. And then there's the apostles and the prophets and then us and people that, that go to other churches. I know, it's shocking. We aren't the only Christians that exist in, in the world, or even in the Brainerd Lakes area, or even in with five, um, within two miles of this building. And God is taking all of these pieces together. It's like gathering up 
All of these, you know, he's got some Legos, and he's got some Duplo blocks, which are basically Legos, but they don't fit with other Legos. And then he's got some Lincoln Logs, and then he's got some, some Connects. Those were the high-end stuff for the rich people. I didn't have any. And then he's putting them all together. And you're like, that sounds like a very poorly built house that I used to own that had seven different additions that were all piecemealed together. And you said, who in the world made this place? And God is taking all of these shapes and all of these colors and, and, and some are made out of clay and some are made out of wood and some are made out of all of these different things and he's building them together in Christ. Why? Paul says, it is where God dwells on this earth. Huh? Yeah, amazing. Like, but, but God dwells in me. I've been singing for, you know, believing for the longest time. Jesus lives in my heart. That's true. But life in Christ isn't about individuals. It's about a group. It's about a community. It's about a whole bizarre conglomeration of individuals who have gone through the, gone through the cross in the shape of the cross, and God is like, okay, I'll put you here, and I'll put you here, and I'll put you here, and then we'll lay some Holy Spirit over you. And how often somebody like, I don't want to be here. I should be over there. I don't want to be by this person. Because they smell. I don't want to be by this person. Because they don't like the things that I like. Or worse yet, I don't want to be by that person because they don't speak English. Or they don't live the way that I think they should live. Or fill in the blank. But we aren't the ones building the house. You're like, I know, but... But I was told that God's building a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, and, and I want to be in a different room with different people. And God says, too bad. I got a shirt for you. It's the get-along shirt. And you're going to walk to the end of the driveway and come back until you get along. Wouldn't that be amazing in the church? We have a get-along section. So we have some, we have some issues. We have some conflicts. And we, like, all right, Chad and Michael, you guys aren't getting along. This Sunday, you're going to sit right there. And everyone's like, ha! I better reconcile because I don't want to be there. I mean, that was the anxious bench, right? But Paul is just giving us this amazing, like, super dense reality in which we don't, I mean, the world tells us, like, this is absolutely bogus, and we want to twist it and make it say things that it doesn't say. And, and, but when we think about the reality and, and allow Scripture to speak to us, and we allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and tell us things that we're like, I don't want to hear that. 
That's probably what we should hear. That is painful. And I don't want to be in pain. That's our standard. (laughs) We are pressing ourselves through a crucified Christ. And so for us to say, well, I don't want to suffer that way. God says, that's fine. That's fine. It's just, if you want to be in the building, a part of the building, there's the doorway. And what is this building? It is the dwelling place of God on earth. You, we ever think about that? When we gather together, When we gather together in corporate worship, God is assembling a portion of his temple where he is residing. I mean, oh my word! Like, I'm just here for the coffee and now the gluten-free cookies. like I buy this amazing high-def TV. Uh, I just want to listen. Don't you want to watch? No. It's an amazing picture. I don't care. I'm good with just listening because that's cool with me. (laughs) Paul paints this incredible picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. We were We were wretched sitters cast out, separated, alienated from God. And Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross so that we can come and be in his presence and we can gather together with all these other people and be built into this amazing structure in which God dwells here on the earth. We're like, we went five minutes over today. (laughs) What? If that's what Sunday morning is, the gathering of cognitive knowledge and the singing of some songs that make me feel good, God is vomiting. God has built this amazing structure in which we keep our trash can. We are the body of Christ. In all of our funkiness and all of our weirdness, and not just us, but people up the road and people down the street and people south of here and people in the Ukraine who are being murdered and fighting for their lives and people in in Poland who are trying to save those people. And all of us are this mysterious conglomeration of people who have been rescued by the death and resurrection of Christ, who have pushed ourselves through the cross to be built into this thing that doesn't look like an American church or an Eastern Orthodox church or or a black church or a white church. It looks like the body of Christ, and it is amazing. And I'm going to stop talking. You can go to your groups.